Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you for leading us in worship that puts God on the throne and not us and gets ourselves started at the beginning of the week by reorienting our lives around the truth of who He is and what, what, what God is and stands for and has brought to us. And thank you for leading us there. Great, great to be back at SVCC. I've been on the road the last three Sundays. Uh, so thanks to Fred and thanks to Frank and thanks to our young Porterville campus pastor and Star Wars fan, Seth. And uh, been gone Sundays, but still here with staff during the week uh, to talk ministry, and we had a great staff meeting on Tuesday there, just as we sat around the table and talked ministry. Much being worked on and much to do. Keep praying for the staff. You know, energy begins to dim a little bit, and it's been a pretty hard year. So as we head towards the year, we want to finish strong and be replenished and recharged, so uh, pray for them, okay? Uh, let's get right into the message this morning. Someone sent me a story about what is called the bathtub test. During a visit to a mental asylum, a visitor asked the director what the criterion was which defined whether or not a patient should be institutionalized. Well, said the director, we fill up a bathtub and then we offer a teaspoon, a teacup, and a bucket to the patient. And we ask him or her to empty the bathtub. Ah, I understand, says a visitor, a normal person would use the bucket because it is bigger than the spoon or the teacup. No, said the director, a normal person would pull the plug. (laughs) (laughs) How many of us need a bed near the window? You know, let's talk about our normalness and what God has done about it is what I've been teaching on a little bit in September 1, September 15, September 29, and it's what I'm going to speak on for the next three weeks that I'm here in a row. Uh, what if upside down is the right way up? The kingdom of God. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read the first two verses. You may have memorized them if you've been a long-term Christian. Uh, I hope you've memorized more than just Genesis 1 and 2, but hey, you know, if you're a good Jew by the age of 13, you'd memorize the whole of the Torah, first five books of the Bible. So uh, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And and if we read this as it is written, we get the sense that there is something there. And as followers of God, we believe that what was there was God. And in Genesis 1 verse 1, God had created something. Now, what what was there? The earth was formless and empty, or without shape and empty. The Hebrew phrase, the phrase is Hebrew, and the phrase is tuhu vavuhu. Tuhu vavuhu. 
And you can say that with me if you want. Tahu, vavu. Sounds like something you'd order in a Vietnamese restaurant or something like that there, you know? Uh, you've learned your first Hebrew, okay? It's a very hard phrase to translate. And some suggest it means formless and empty or waste and void or total chaos. But other scholars, uh, and particularly one scholar, Everett Fox, in his translation work of the Torah, defines it as wild and waste. So stay with me this morning, okay? The revelation of God that we have in the first opening verses of the Bible, the beginning of God revealing of who He is to His people, is that He is a God who enters into the wild and waste and the chaos, and out of it creates something beautiful that He calls good. The God who created you is a God who descends into your wild and waste, your chaos and confusion, and out of it, He creates something ordered, something beautiful, something good. The God who created the earth is a God who enters into wild and waste and chaos and makes something beautiful and good. This is what God is fundamentally like. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 is way more than the creation of the world. It's about deeper things. It's about the revelation of who God is and what God does. Tuhu vavuhu. But the picture gets built on. God, a God who takes wild and waste, chaos and disorder, and makes it into something beautiful and good, creates humankind. And He commissions us to carry on His work, His mission. We're made in His image, and He's a God who creates something beautiful and good out of wild and waste, and He calls us to carry on that work. And if we read Genesis, all of Genesis chapter 1 and all of Genesis chapter 2, the simple and consistent picture of human beings is that flowing out from our relationship with God, our job description is to be responsible before God for life on the earth. This is Psalm 115. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to man. But here's the story. Here's the story. It starts in Genesis chapter 3. And it's confirmed by every 6 p.m. or 11 p.m. local news and every 24-hour news broadcast on our TVs. The earth is broken. And the earth is broken because we as human beings are broken. And make sure we understand the connection. The earth got broken because human beings got broken. And if you take the time and you begin to read Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 7, Genesis chapter 8, Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11, the brokenness of humankind and the brokenness of the earth dominate. Human beings were meant to be about what God is about. God. 
Made in his image, our mission and his mission, his work was our work, and he fundamentally is a God who enters into waste and wild and chaos and brings something beautiful, something whole, something good out of it. So too, we were to reflect that character. But instead of the earth being restored and repaired, things only got worse. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, first two brothers, envy enters world history, anger enters world history, deceit enters world history, murder enters world history, and we're barred from community, and that also enters into our history. Or Genesis chapter 4, Lamech, polygamy, and unfaithfulness enter world history. And in Genesis chapter 4, the first wheel is invented, the spinning wheel of revenge. We are wronged, we get hurt, we seek revenge, we attack. That person is wronged, they are hurt. They seek revenge, they attack. We are wronged, we get hurt, we seek revenge, we attack. They are wronged, they are hurt, they seek revenge, they attack, and on and on and on it goes. Genesis chapter 4, it's the law of Lamech. Genesis chapter 6, Noah, flood and destruction. The earth is full of violence and corruption. There's drunkenness. A, a son disrespects his father. Noah curses the son of his son. The, and you've got the first dysfunctional family, and we're only six chapters in to the history of the world. Genesis chapter 11, you've got the Tower of Babel, pride and arrogance, Build a city to heaven so we can make a name for ourselves. Devotion is ultimately to us, not to the God who made us. And we're scattered and we're separated by language and we're defying God. And we have got a command to fill the earth. But we want to stick together. And humankind, instead of repairing and renewing as agents of God, reflecting His character, we become agents of corruption. And as the church father Augustine said it well, sin becomes the punishment of sin. The multiplying power of sin to spoil a good creation and to breach its, def its defenses against invaders. John Calvin, one of the early Reformation theologians, called it the total depravity of mankind. Not that that means everything is nasty. Uh, Calvinists have taken Calvin a little bit further than what Calvin did himself. But, but, but the image of God upon us is polluted or it's been graffitied over. There is a fundamental flaw in the earth and in every human being. A flaw that runs through all of our hearts, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. And the Bible calls that flaw evil. Evil is anything that spoils God's wholeness. Evil is any deviation from the way God wants things to be. 
Evil is anything that destroys what God saw as good or made whole. And here's the story. It started in Genesis chapter 3, and it's confirmed by every television news program. The earth is broken, and the earth is broken because we as human beings are broken. We fell away from our intended divine context and from the task for which we are by nature fitted. Even the earth is subject to futility because of this, Romans chapter, chapter 9, chapter 8. Now, run with me, run with me. Okay, you're going to keep running with me this morning, okay? Our hearts need to hear this. We need to run with me, okay? So we've got Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, okay? So come to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, okay? Genesis chapter 12, and something happens. Something's different in the narrative, Genesis chapter 12, now verse 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, you'll know him as Abraham, okay? Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be exemplifying divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I will curse, and all the families of the earth will be blessed one another by your name. So Abraham left just as the Lord had told him to do, and Lot, his brother, went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they left for the land of Canaan. Ah, stay with me. Only after these 11 depressing chapters with the world going from bad to worse and bad to worse, do we reach Genesis chapter 12 and the arrival of Abraham and someone who gets it seek first the kingdom of God. Eventually, finally, someone who stood true to the task that human beings were given. Now, why? Why start with the depressing stuff? Why not start with the good stuff of Abraham and his obedience, his calling, his starting the nation of Israel and the people of God? Abraham had incredible faith and vision and courage. Why not start just, why not open the Bible, start with God made it, and then Abraham comes along? Why all the other stuff? Mm. The why is because if you do not see the depravity and the terrible state of the world, you cannot fully appreciate why God needs an Abraham and a special people. Remember, God desires the salvation of the whole world. Don't, don't shrink God's love down or make it exclusive. And into this world of violence and corruption and defiance to God and arrogance in our selfish ambitions and us getting worse, not better, God takes a small, unhurried step. He calls Abraham and he promises him a land that's kingdom talk. 
and He promises him a people, that's kingdom talk also. God is in the business of repair. He lets us see how broken it is, and then He shows us how He starts to repair with one willing person. Think of the problems in the world. Think of the darkness that has invaded that was all that was good in Genesis 1. And now someone is sticking their neck above the parapet. And someone is saying, I know who God is. And I'll start doing what God wants done. And as you read the text, you realize that something crucial is happening. There is now someone who is relying entirely on God's promise, and is now, there is now someone who is allowing God to rule and to reign in his life, his kingdom come, and that's going to change the world in one specific place through one real person. God's kingdom now has a living witness and a visible place. And what began in Abraham continues to weave its way through the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Passage after passage after passage. God isn't settled. God is restless. God has a fundamental character, and that character must do what it does, like an air bubble that's trapped in a bottle that has to rise to the top. God has to enter into wild and waste and chaos, and God has to repair it. God has to make it something beautiful. That is who He is. It's the heart of revelation. God cannot help extending His grace. As Philip Yancey writes, forgiveness and reconciliation, rescue, they define God's nature. But the story continues. Stay with me, okay? This is a heavy one this morning, okay? The story of the Old Testament is that there is coming a king who will fix the brokenness of the world, a messiah. Psalm 2, Zechariah 14, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 53, 54, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, Jeremiah 33. But the story gets better. That same king will begin through people, through willing people, through surrendered people, through obedient people, people in the mold of Abraham, people like Joshua, and people like David, and people like Jeremiah, and people like Ruth, and people like Boaz. That same king will take ordinary but surrendered people and help them become agents of repair, agents of renewal, agents of taking things that are wild and waste and chaos and bring God's redeeming and renewing presence to them. People who follow after God don't settle for the brokenness. They work for its fixing. 
They partner with God, reflecting His image, carrying on His mission. They enter into the chaos, the wild, and the waste, and they bring something new and whole out of it. And like the king revealed in the Old Testament, they don't storm around burning up everyone and everything is broken. Like that bad story in Luke 9 when the, when the disciples want to call down fire from heaven. That's not what the king does. But rather they take the pain and the suffering. They take the brokenness upon themselves and are agents for God's healing and for His repair to flow. <laughs> it's what followers and worshipers of the God of the Bible do. It's what Christ followers do. My heart gets heavy so many days because I think that Christians, particularly Western Christians, we miss the point of it. We've made Christianity so much about the next life. Like after we die, heaven up there. But the heart of the message of God is that He is deeply concerned and involved in fixing what's wrong down here. And the church of today, we often just condemn and judge what's happening down here, and we have no bone in our body that wants to fix it. We are too busy praying Star Trek prayers. Beam me up, Scotty. When we should be praying the only prayer that Jesus taught us, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have bought too much into the belief that says everything here is bad. We're just waiting to get the train out of here. Dispensationalism has fueled that wrong thinking. God is actually all about coming down here. This was always the truth of God. Think of the people of God walking in the wilderness, Exodus 25. They were instructed to build a tabernacle for what purpose? So God could dwell with them. Not us dwell with Him, but so that God could dwell with us. Think of Revelation chapter 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. It's not about getting out of here. It's about bringing heaven to earth. It's not about us going to live with God. It's about God coming to live with us. What if upside down is the right way up? The minute we begin to think it's all about us getting out of here when we die, we deny who we are and we misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we shrink God's plan and His salvation down to either a fire insurance policy from hell or a sin management program, we've missed the point. You can miss hell, and you can have your sins forgiven, and you can just live like everybody else around you. You can trust Jesus 
and hopefully one day get to heaven and forget that the truth of the cross and of Jesus is not only about the doctrine of, ju of justification, but it's also about the truth and the reality of regeneration and new life. You can make Christianity about being let off the divine hook, about going down below, or you can live out Christianity as being possessed by divine life from above. To follow after a God whose biggest plan for your life is to manage your sin and get you one day into heaven, is to reduce your Christianity down to being utterly irrelevant for how we live and work and raise our children. This is what Dallas Willard calls a disjunction between faith and life. When this happens, your soul is left to shrivel and die on the plains of life. You get heaven, but you've missed life. God is inviting you. In truth, God's calling on your life is to become an agent of repair. Your calling is to carry out his work, and his mission. Anything less than that is to miss the point. Anything less than that is not being a real follower. Anything less than that is to pretend to be in the kingdom, but to be in rebellion against the king. The calling of the church Stay with me. The calling of the church, South Valley Community Church, is to be a repair center where lives and families and societies and communities and systems and cultures are repaired. Repaired to the glory of God running through them, the image of God radiating from them. Our calling as a church is not to work with the trivializers of the gospel who are huddled together saying, isn't this place really bad? Get us out of here, God. But work with the broken and the corrupted and the people and the lives whose lives are wild and wasted and chaos. The church is not a sweet, pretty, all-in-order, tidy thing. The church specializes in getting its sleeves rolled up amongst the mess of humanity. Dress for church. Wear your overalls. And tragically, hundreds of churches have missed it. And they've thought and acted as though it was all about them being nice saints, hanging out, singing hymns, enjoying a potluck until God calls us to a better place. This is a hospital for sinners. This is a refuge for the broken. This is a repair center for those who are willing to admit that they need repairing. And if you're not willing to admit you need repairing, you're a Pharisee. And Jesus condemned the Pharisees. This is a big CR, a big celebrate recovery every single Sunday morning. And this is why, this is why next Sunday, and I hope Jim Vahill's back for this. He's out this morning, unfortunately, because of health, but hopefully Jim's back. We'll share with you some of the new developments where our renewed store ministry is going to go to another level, because that's what we're about. Not about us, 
but about the wild and the waste and the chaos and the broken and those needing repaired. Now, I've been on the road for three weeks around some really bad churches. That's why I'm back this morning, all right? I'm in a bad place, okay? You come and do my job, okay? Now, let me really, let me really mess with your heads this morning, okay? At the time of Jesus, nearly finished, guys. Hang in here, okay? At the time of Jesus, as he was teaching about the kingdom of God, the Jews of his day, the people around him, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But although they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they believed that the Messiah, or, or they, sorry, they believed that they could effect when the Messiah would come. And they could affect when the Messiah would come by how hard and passionate they worked to repair and restore the world. They believed that the harder they worked, the sooner the Messiah would come to bring peace and shalom. They believed that although God had set the date, it was still dependent upon human action on the part of the God followers. And so, there's a writing known as the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. And the Talmud is the uh, Jewish document of all the rabbinical interpretations of the Torah. So, the Jews, the Hebrew Scriptures, not just the first five books, the Torah, but all of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, this, is the, this is all the rabbis' teachings and interpretations of what the Torah means, the, their commentary on the law. And there's two components to the Talmud. There's the Mishnah and there's the Jamara. And, and in one of those passages in the Torah, uh, there's these words written. This is in, this is in the, San, the Sanhedrin Doctrine 97b. All the dates of redemption have already passed, and now it depends upon repentance and good deeds. Now, what they're teaching there is they believed that the Messiah hadn't yet come and fixed this place because His people don't want it bad enough. They believe God is waiting for His people to do the work of repair, and then the Messiah will come. Now, that, I, I, I'm not agreeing with that, okay? I'm just telling you, that's the context. That's the teaching that was there when Jesus was here on earth, okay? That the Messiah hadn't come because the Jewish people hadn't worked hard enough for the repair of society. And if they worked harder, the Messiah would come. That's the context, Okay, <laughs> this is going to get me fired. <laughs> Go now to Second Peter, chapter three. This is the fun part. Second Peter chapter three is right at the end of the New Testament. Okay, and this is one example of that belief from the Sanhedrin in the New Testament, and. I did not get into your Bible last night and change some of the wording. Now, this is a complex chapter. Like Second, Second Peter is a complex book. But Second Peter chapter 3 is a very complex chapter, very speedy summary. Peter is using Genesis 1 language. God coming to do what was 
wild and waste and make it beautiful. Peter uses that language and imagery to talk about the end of time. And at some point in the future, God will descend again into the wild and the waste of the world we know and repair it like he did in Genesis chapter 1. The end of time will be like the beginning of time. Everything will then be new and good. We'll get rid of the evil and out of it will be healing. New, not in the sense of it thrown away, but new as in the sense of it being fixed. Burned it up, not in the sense of destroying it by burning, but in the sense of purifying it by burning. Get rid of the impurities. So the Bible starts and ends with the same picture. There's a consistency in the revelation of God and, the, and in the scriptures of his words. Uh, and as he talks about this day coming and God repairing it all, he writes, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day of God and speed its coming. We have to live holy and godly lives. We are to live our lives as God teaches us how to live. We are to live obeying Him as our King. We have to allow Him to reign and rule in us. We are to do what He wants us to do. We are to live as God created us to live. And we are to speed the coming of that day. Speed its coming. Peter writes this because we are happy to sit back passively and wait for God to show up. Maybe, may your eyes be opened and may your hearts be opened to the truth of God's Word this morning. I'm not, I'm not making these words up. These words are in Holy Scripture. You are supposed to be living your life, doing what God wants you to do, and thus speed the coming of Christ. Perhaps he has not yet come because we are not living as we should. We have a faith that should turn us into the most busy, occupied agents of repair. But instead, we often appear the most fatalistic and waiting just to be rescued. In most other faiths, people are active doing what their scriptures teach. But in Christianity, often our faith is just cerebral. We believe it, but we don't do it. And we've theologized our idleness and our laziness and our disobedience. The Bible teaches God will come and dwell with you when you have worked hard enough for Him to return. This passage has revolutionized my life. If you want to sit around and sing worship songs and read your Bible and say daily prayers until God comes for you, that's not what the church is. You can become an agent of repair. And when you see something broken, work to fix it. When you see here of something that's gone lost, go look for it. When you see something that needs to be done, to it, then we are becoming agents of repair and we carry out the mission of God. So let me ask you something really searching this morning before we finish. 
Is God going to one day thank you for the things you've helped fix? Or is He going to cry at how many things you've broken? Is my life about going into the wild and the waste and repairing? How, how badly do I want Jesus to come? Do I truly believe that faith makes a difference to how I live or how I am? Or am I just hanging around waiting for heaven? There's a sting in the tail of the wild and the waste that maybe he has not yet come because we haven't wanted him badly enough. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, just maybe remain seated this morning. As we pray, Maybe this morning you, you know your wild and your waste. You know your chaos and your confusion. Maybe you have addictions or depression. Or maybe you have a hopelessness that needs repairing. And the God that we worship this morning, the God that we've invited to be here this morning is a God who wants to heal your soul. He wants to repair what's broken. Maybe there are some areas where you need to ask God for, for forgiveness, for just cry out for help in the areas that are broken. Maybe there's sins that need confessing. And then with the help of God, the power to bury them because they're dead, they're gone. Maybe this morning you've been a destructive force in someone else's life and you need to make amends. Is there wild, is there waste, is there chaos in your being? It's not why God created you. He came to repair you. Is there somewhere in your world that you can be an agent of repair, but you're not doing it? It's too messy, or it's too hard, or you're too comfortable. And so we just lift our hands to heaven and we cry, Dear God, We have not wanted it badly enough. But you are looking for people who are desperate for you to come and fix it. And you're calling for people to be partners with you in the work of repair. May the testimony of this local church be that it is filled with people who help, 
who come alongside those who are broken and bring comfort and hope, who come alongside those who are in wild and waste and confusion, and we don't bring condemnation, but we bring the presence of Jesus to bring healing and help and deliverance. May this church be known not by how much candy it gives out, but by how much repairing and helping hands to those who are hurting and broken. Come. And if that work of repair, God, needs to start with us, this morning we ask for that. And we pray by your grace and your mercy to send us out from here to be agents of repair in a broken world. In Christ's name we pray. Go and be. Amen.